Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and we are continuing our series on the attributes of God. And uh, we're almost to the end. We're on episode 16, even though my notes say 17. Um, And joining us back again is Pastor Tim Johnson, pastor at Rock Valley Chapel here in Beloit, Wisconsin. Pastor Tim, welcome back. It's good to be back, Kevin. Yeah, it's been a while. (laughs) It's been a few minutes, literally. Happy to help. It's just, it's really a pleasure to be here. So thanks. Thanks for inviting me. All right, well, last week on the podcast, uh, we talked about the... uh, the love of God, and now we're kind of changing gears, and we're talking about the wrath of God. Yeah. So, Pastor Tim, what are we what are we talking about when we talk about God's wrath? God's wrath is His just anger hmm. against sin that's leveled against sin yeah. and unrighteousness. And the passage um, I would start with uh, when talking about this is Romans one eighteen. Yeah. Uh, where Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Mm. So God's wrath is leveled against not just unrighteousness, but an unrighteousness that culminates in denying suppressing the truth. So namely that God exists, think idolatry, the truth that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross on our behalf and so forth, was raised from the dead to prove that he's God. Mm. All the things that God reveals that people deny is an expression, the fulfillment of unrighteousness, and that merits God's just wrath. Right. And it's a a just wrath. And when you think about wrath, um, I'm someone who can get wrathful. (laughs) <laughs> my students will tell you that. My kids will tell you that. I can I can be very angry. And we don't want to picture an angry God because if we look at it from a human perspective, if I get angry, I'm in sin because I'm allowing that anger to control me. And so I'll do things I might not normally do, say things I might not normally say because I am not in control of what I'm doing, in a sense. So I, I'm acting out sinfully as a reaction, as some offense. But that's not what we're talking about here. No, not at all. In fact, um, there are times, the Bible tells us, I don't know exactly where it's at, uh, might be able to find it quickly, but there are times where righteous anger yeah. is called for. So when we think of the heinous crimes that are committed, we read about in the newspapers and yeah. so forth, and there's a profound, um, visceral... Um, resistance and anger to what's going on because it's so wrong. There's yeah. such a severe moral violation. Uh, there is a place for um, righteous anger, which is yeah. why in part we have court systems and right. so forth to try to make sure that there are penalties imposed on those situations. But yes, to your point, when we think of anger, typically it's because I lose control over something and I am no longer within myself, as it yeah. were, and I'm certainly not looking to God to resolve the issues. Anger usually comes from unmet expectations. Yeah. So when I think about anger, um, when I get angry, it's because there's been some expectation that hasn't been met. I've asked my kids to do this, that, or the yeah. other thing they didn't do it brings about anger. Same thing happens with my wife, or obviously when she get ang- gets angry with me because I haven't fulfilled what she expected yeah. me to do and so forth. I'm driving down 
the highway and a person cuts me off, well, I don't expect that to happen, so I get angry. Right. So unmet expectations are what lead to anger in general. Yeah. But there are times where righteous anger is called for right. when I see moral violations. And the righteous anger of God, which is what we're talking about, is completely just because what we're talking about is the suppression of the truth. Right. When unrighteousness leads to suppression of the truth, nothing could be uh, in greater violation of God's expectation, as yeah. it were, although not in an angry sense that you and I understand right. because of the effects of sin on our lives. And so God is completely just in pouring out his wrath and his anger on those who reject the truth, namely that he exists, right. and that he has a plan for self, that he's the creator, that he's a plan for salvation, he orchestrates and continues to mediate the activities of the earth yeah. and so forth. So suppression of the truth about who God is merits his right. wrath, and it's just. And that's why we should be upset. You know, you read about a rape in the newspaper or a, mur a heinous murder or something like that. There is something within us that should be angry about that. That, should, that demands a justice. Yes. And that's yes. a reflection of, again, being made in the image of God. I Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, A.W. Pink, in his book is, that we're following, said this, The wrath of God is his eternal detestation of all unrighteousness, it is the displeasure and indignation of divine justice against evil. It is the holiness of God stirred into activity against sin. It is the moving cause of that just sentence which he passes upon evildoers. God is angry against sin because it is rebelling against his authority, a wrong done in his inviolable sovereignty. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an anger that demands justice. It's not just, again, my kids get me ticked off. It's a personal slight. I'm not thinking of, listen, the biblical concept is children, mm -hmm. obey your parents. and This is right. I, I can't say I get that way. It's more of, you just ruined my plan for whatever. And so here, God is angered against sin because it is a violation of what is just, a violation of even what is best for his creation. Mm. And so there's, a, there's an overarching view that's at play here, not just a, a personal slight that you're ticked off about. And that's a really good point because um, a personal slight is based on the truth that we are sinners. Yeah. And so that we have a certain expectation that we feel should be met and yet in our sinful disposition uh, even our expectations have some sinful connotation. Yeah. Where God's expectations coming from a perfect, moral, holy, righteous yeah. God can never, his expectations can never be tainted right. by any element of sin, which is why in Deuteronomy 32, God can say, vengeance belongs to me. Yeah. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And Paul, of course, quotes that as well, right. because Romans. only God is righteous enough, is holy enough, and just enough to be able to execute vengeance in a just way. Yeah. Human beings, because of our sin, cannot ever be vengeful, which is right. why Paul says, don't be vengeful, only God. Vengeance yeah. belongs to God. Only God is pure and holy enough. In our human frailty, we have to include a court system. Right. Why? Because two people aren't going to be able to kind of mediate justice uh, in a just way. Right. We need a third party. 
or a fourth party in some cases. We need another entity to kind of intervene right. because of our sinful dispositions. God doesn't need a third entity or a second entity. Yeah. He's perfect. So he is the one that can say, vengeance is mine. Right. Vengeance is God's because of his perfect moral character. Therefore, the wrath of God, which is part and parcel with his vengeance against sin, is perfectly just right. because it emanates from a perfectly holy and righteous being yeah. who can never be wrong. Right, and, and so we fall into sin because I want to not just, okay, I've, I felt a personal slight, and it may actually be, I, I could be right. Someone did something wrong to me that they should not have done. And so my, my temptation in that anger is to overcorrect the problem. I want to make that person pay. Mm-hmm. I want to make that person I want suffer. justice. Right. Yeah. And, but the reality is, my wrath toward that person is most likely unjust. They've done something to me, who cares? But we, we, we go back to a, 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 a Christ-centered, God-centered view of, of all things. God can pour out his wrath upon people because disobeying him, rebelling against him, is the highest crime that we could commit. Mm. And therefore, it demands a higher sense of justice. Whereas, I'm not worthy of that. You know, an offense against me is not that big of a deal, despite what I think at the time. Yeah, that's a good point. And once again, we put ourselves in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. You know, we want to be like God. So we ate from the tree. Why? Because we want to be like God. So therefore, we're the ones who um, feel that our vengeance is justified. It's righteous. We're right because we're putting ourselves in the position of God rather than recognizing my demand for justice is a reflection of my sinful disposition. Because in my sin, I could not know how to demand justice. Yeah. And in God's economy, taking it from our, our earthly you know, entity, our earthly economy, into in God's economy, if everything were to work out justly, I would have no hope. Yeah. Because of my sin, right. I deserve to die. I deserve to be separated from God forever. Yeah. But in his mercy and love, he has chosen to make it possible for me to be welcomed, despite my sinful disposition, into his presence for eternity. Right which doesn't eliminate the need for his wrath right? because there is a price that has to be paid. There's a, God would not be just if there wasn't right. um, a penalty that was paid for sin, which is why he pours out his wrath on unbelief. And he pours out his wrath on unbelief, and I'll just try to keep it simple, at least for my simplistic sure. mind, uh, in at least two ways. He pours out his wrath on those who reject him, suppress the truth, as we saw in Romans. But the second and more important way is he pours out his wrath on Jesus. Yes. He pours out his wrath on Christ, on the cross, where my sins have been applied. Yeah. And so um, Christ has taken on God's wrath uh, for my sake. And when I trust in Jesus, then I am protected yeah. from God's wrath right. at the judgment. So there's still a place for wrath. And it's either going to show up at the cross for those who trust in Jesus, or it's going to show up at judgment day for those who reject God right. and suppress that truth, which then they will they will be in God's wrath, yeah. separated for him, from him for eternity. Yeah, 1 John 2.2, 2, he's a propitiation for our sin. Yeah. He's a payment for our sin. Uh, I was just talking with someone recently. In fact, you guys have already listened to this podcast. Um, we had a guest on who was talking about 
the idea of penal substitution or mm -hmm. substitution and penal substitution uh, atonement excuse me and uh, this person was offended at the idea yet this is the very core of our salvation it is the heart and soul of it absolutely this is something we can't just jettison because it doesn't seem right to us but it doesn't seem right because it's not right because we deserve the wrath of God that's right that's and right so this is what makes this is what makes God's uh, forgiveness, his mercy, his condescension, so incredible, his love so amazing because we deserve wrath. And yeah. without that idea of wrath, well then, you know, I, 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 I'm sometimes too analytical. And I sometimes cringe when I hear people talk about God's love in a sense that, well, of course God loves me because God loves everybody. Therefore, I, I am deserving of this. I, 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 of course God's going to love me because I'm a human being. So, I deserve that, and it loses its, all of its meaning and impact when we don't realize, no, I deserve the wrath of God because of my rebellion against his holy and his perfect will. Yeah. I, well, I think you've said it really well, and um, I think one of the things that needs to be preached more and more, um, and I've actually written a little tract mm. on this very topic, um, and that is the imputation of yeah. Christ's righteousness, the the, the glorious um, eternal exchange that happens at the cross is undeserved, right. as you've mentioned. It is completely and a hundred percent of God's grace. But the exchange is that Christ has all of our sins sins imputed to Him, and when I trust Jesus Christ, His righteousness mm. gets imputed to me. And that righteousness that God sees imputed to me is what protects me from God's wrath. Right. And so the great exchange happens at the cross. Christ took my sins, which is why God had to turn away from him. Yeah. That's why he was forsaken for that moment. All the sins of the world were applied to him. But when I trust Christ, I get his righteousness, yeah. which is like my shield. It protects me from right. God's wrath, as it were. And God's wrath is real. Yeah. And it's, it's going to happen, as I just mentioned. It's either going to happen at the cross for those who trust in Christ or it's going to be imposed on us yeah. uh, for those who disbelieve well, and let's, let's back up. A, let's back up a little bit. I want to make sure we define our term. You talk about God imputing yeah. his righteousness. Talk yeah, yeah. about what does that word mean, uh, imputation? Yeah, good, good. Thank you. Uh, um, imputation is applying. Like um, yeah. when I speak about the imputation of Christ's righteousness um, when I'm preaching, I, I try to use the image of being cloaked. Like, yeah. think of a, a wet blanket, you know, or a wet jacket. You're caught in a rainstorm like I was yesterday, mm -hmm. actually. And all of a sudden, that jacket gets really heavy, and it's wrapped around. You can feel every particle yeah. of that jacket. Christ's righteousness is wrapped around me. It's cloaked right. around me. It's applied to me. Uh, so Christ has all of our sins cloaked on him. Yeah. God turns away from him as a result. And we have Christ's righteousness cloaked right. on us, which allows Christ, or God excuse me, to look upon us and to receive us. Yeah. We have that righteousness, which the Reformers refer to as an alien righteousness. Right. It's a righteousness that's not our own yeah. and certainly not deserved. When we have that righteousness, we can stand before God boldly. Right. We can be in his presence, not because of anything we've done, but because we have Christ's righteousness. Right. So. People need to fear God's wrath yeah. more than they fear death, more than they fear the devil, right. more than they fear anything. 
It's God's wrath that people need to fear. And yeah. Jesus says it in uh, Matthew 10, 28, do yeah. not fear those who kill the body. Right. Fear, those who, fear the one who can cure the body and the soul. And that one is God. And it's happen, it happens at judgment because right. of God's wrath. So fearing God's wrath is very healthy and it is absolutely core to the gospel. Right. Without the wrath of God, there is no gospel. Yeah, and so absolutely. It's, it's absolutely critical. And this is I mean, this is what leads someone to salvation: is to acknowledge the fact that okay, not have I not only have I just sinned, because everybody sins, and so therefore that almost kind of wipes it out. But I have sinned against the holy God, who has taken notice of that, who I have waiting for me a holy righteous a holy wrath that will again not just consume the body but the soul itself mm-hmm. that will mm-hmm. set me to eternal condemnation. Because my crimes are that bad. Yeah. Um, but once I've realized that, that the offer of the gospel is that I can have the righteousness of Christ applied to my account, and God will look on me as if these, this was my own righteousness. Mm-hmm. Well, then that righteousness is that, that, that requirement for wrath, again, as you've said, is met in Christ. Absolutely. And, and, and Paul says that in 1 yeah. Thessalonians 1.10, where... Our faith in Christ protects us right. from God's wrath. But the wrath is still there. Yeah. So the wrath of God is real. And while culture today, and, and, and not just today, but in centuries past, hasn't wanted to talk about God's culture yeah. for reasons that we've talked about before. We kind of create this image of God. He's yeah. a loving God. He's caring and merciful. All true. Yeah. But part and parcel with that loving God is his justice and his yeah. wrath. And so the wrath of God is real. I think Jesus talks more about God's wrath yeah. when he talks about, you know, the merciful nature. Well, and of that's God. important because sometimes we have this idea that God in the Old Testament, yeah. He was a God of wrath. Yeah. But in the New Testament, we have Jesus, who's a God of love, and so we don't need to worry about wrath anymore because we have Jesus. Yeah. And then when you read in Revelation, yeah, about when Jesus comes back, yeah, you get a very clear sense in um, Revelation six fifteen to seventeen. I've just written down in my notes. That people will, you know, this is in the end times during what I would consider to be the tribulation uh, where God is pouring out his wrath on the earth. People will prefer death and say, man, we we don't want to live. We don't want to have to take this anymore. And as that passage goes on, it makes it very clear that it's the Lamb of God who is participating in pouring out this wrath. Right. And so even the language in the Greek makes it clear that it's a plural sense. It's not just God... It's the Lamb and God right. working together to pour out this wrath. So you're absolutely right. This notion that Jesus doesn't participate in God's wrathful judgment, judgment is unbiblical. Yeah. It's very clearly there. And he gives us hints of it as he's critiquing the Pharisees and others right. as well. He gives you whitewashed tombs. He's making it very clear that there's a judgment side to yeah. Christ as well. Naturally, because as God, it is part of his nature. It will be fulfilled most robustly uh, in the end times when he comes back as the conquering king. Yeah. And he is pouring out. He is one of the means by which God will pour out his wrath yeah. on the earth um, and to those who are unbelieving to eternal death. I think it's important to emphasize that this wrath is a justified wrath. It should be there. Yeah. Again, just as we, because we, we, we tend to not want to think of God in that way. Because, again, of human associations, it's what wrath is. And it's not a popular concept of who God is. 
But again, even in our human nature, we get upset justly over, again, whether it's the mm. latest terrorist attack mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. a horrible injustice, we do get angry over that and because we reflect the image of God. Mm -hmm. Who, The problem is not that Probably is not God's wrath. The problem is we don't view our sin as seriously as it needs to be. Boy, that's you couldn't say it any better. And that's really the bottom line. Until we come to grips with the seriousness yeah. of our own sin and how we stand before God without any hope right. apart from Christ, until we understand how far away we are, that chasm that separates us from God, until we understand that, we will not value the wrath of God. Yeah. We will instead look at that as an, an unsavory trait. Yeah. Even though the Bible from beginning to end, from right. expulsion from the garden, right? Yeah. Which was a form of God's judgment and wrath. Okay, you've rejected me, out you go. And there will be death. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, we were just yeah. quoting when Christ comes back to meet out God's final judgment on those who suppress the truth. Right. From beginning to end, the Bible is very clear that there is a just, wrathful nature attribute, as it were, yeah. to God. It is part of the fullness of who God is. Um, we can't deny that. And until we understand how condemned we are, we will not value the wrath of God, yeah. nor will we look to the kind of hope and joy we can have that through Christ right. we are protected from God's wrath. Yeah. And we have that. We have that opportunity by trusting in Christ and then the whole imputation yeah. question that we talked about earlier becomes real. I now have Christ's righteousness. Right. And I know I've done nothing to deserve dwelling with God forever, but I have his righteousness and that is my ticket to heaven. Yeah. So we don't even value the gospel as we should until we value our own sin. Absolutely. In light of, of God's wrath. Absolutely. So, so how do we apply this in a practical level I think first, again, we have to appreciate the gospel. We have to appreciate God's wrath. What, what else would you say on a practical level? What do we do with the wrath of God? Um, the wrath of God is meant to um, temper me, uh, yeah. temper my life, to remind me uh, that there is judgment, uh, that there's a severity to my yeah. sin, and that um, I deal with it every single day. Right. You know, repentance. As I repent every day for whatever the sins are, it's a reminder of what I'm being saved from. Yeah. It's a reminder of who I am. I am a sinner. You know, Paul wrestles with yeah. this in Romans 7. Why do I keep doing what I don't want right. to do? It is a reminder that God's wrath, which is just, will take care of all the sins of the world. And I kind of alluded to this earlier. It's either going to be dealt with at the cross in my life, or it's going to be dealt with on my yeah. life at judgment. And so the practical, I think the practical application is to know that sin is being dealt with. Right. And God's wrath is the vehicle by which that's happening. And when I see sin in other people's lives and in my life, yeah. and I abhor it, I can take, I can, I can extract peace from the truth that that sin, which is part of a fallen nature, a fallen creature, fallen world, has been taken care of, is yeah. being taken care of, either at the cross or at judgment. Right. And so there's some peace in that. Um, I love uh, Ted Tripp talks about, or Paul Tripp talks about how um, sin... It's the same stash either way. So. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, about how uh, we, just, we just don't really appreciate the magnitude of sin. Yeah. We, just, we just don't really understand it. 
and until we really come to grips with it, we just can't understand truly how great this salvation is. Yeah. And so the wrath of God reminds us of the severity of sin and therefore how great yeah. our salvation is through Christ. All right, so we're going to wrap up there. Um, but before we go again, what, what you, I know you're big on the book, yep. uh, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Read Knowing God. He's got a chapter yes. that's dedicated to the wrath of God. It's about eight or nine pages. It's a quick read. It's a book worth having on yeah. everyone's library. Uh, in everyone's library and if you've got it go read the chapter if you don't have it go get it and yeah. just skip right up to the chapter and kind of read what Packer has to say and uh, I'd also throw in Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God a classic by Jonathan that. Edwards can't and, beat that uh, a couple other resources The Wrath of God two articles I found online uh, The Wrath of God by Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, and then Four Problems with Downplaying God's Wrath uh, of course let's, let's mention one ticket um, a track you wrote Oh, it's called um, Got Your Ticket. Got Your Ticket, yeah. One try. I don't know. Got Your Ticket, that. yeah, through Crossway. And you can get that on, on Amazon. I, I saw that the other day. Oh, you can? Okay. You can. <laughs> so we'll have a link to that. And, uh, of course, I didn't mention the book that you wrote, mm. um, which has nothing necessarily to do with what we're talking about now. But Yeah, maybe for a different podcast. Yeah, but now my eyes see... Uh, my. Uh, yeah. I'm going to edit that part out. That's right. Uh, now I see you unveiling an apocalyptic Job. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's a, it's a very academic book that looks at the, the genre, the literary genre mm. of Job. And I basically, in a nutshell, I try to argue that there are rudimentary apocalyptic features to the book of Job that reveal that the, the overall theme of the book of Job is not about suffering, but it's how to and the value of persevering hmm. in the midst of suffering. And so the book kind of takes a genre analysis and looks at various features that haven't been really revealed in other studies hmm. and explores some of them and examines how these apocalyptic features crop up every once in a while. It helps us to see that this book is really about persevering, which apocalyptic writing is really fundamentally all about, how to persevere, hold on to your faith in the midst of chaos, hmm. suffering, and despair. And so I think the book of Job is along those lines. So it's a, it, was a, it was a fun book, very academic in some ways, but I hope to one day be able to do a more practical application. In fact, I just had an essay published hmm. uh, that's coming out this year in a collection of essays that summarizes the argument um, and critiques some of those who have critiqued my, yeah. my thoughts already and um, just kind of bringing it up to speed and trying to promote the theme that we are called, at least I think through the book of Job, to persevere. Hmm. That's what it's all about, persevering. Well, thank you, Tim, for joining us You're welcome. this week. And, My pleasure. Uh, thank all of you for joining us as well. Tune in next week. We'll have the exciting conclusion to our series on the attributes of God. So, again, check out our website, www.basicbiblepodcast.org, and check us out on Twitter at BasicBibleCast, and share us on whatever social media platform you're on, and uh, get the word out. So until next week, have a great rest of your week. Mm-hmm.